Good morning. All right, we're on. Good deal. So uh, this morning I got up to add some notes to my, uh, open my laptop to add some notes to my uh, additional thoughts to my notes that I had typed up, and my laptop wouldn't work. So I have composition paper here. They're my handwritten notes that we're going to run with. Uh, I feel like a third grader giving his first oil presentation or something like that, uh, but we're going to make it work. And in, in 1993, I had the opportunity to, uh, through the Baptist Student Union, uh, I was at Stephen F. Austin, and we were a poor association called the Baptist Student Union, and, and um, at the Baptist Student Union, they, they offered opportunities for us to go on mission trips, and it was a really neat opportunity. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Sydney, Australia, and uh, we actually, if we flew into Sydney, Australia, and then I went north of Sydney, about, uh, about 65 miles, to a little town, oddly enough, called Newcastle. And, uh, and worked there in Newcastle for 10 weeks uh, with youth in, uh, in Newcastle, Australia. It's a great opportunity, a wonderful thing. Before we departed on that, uh, we, um, we had, of course, a, a very large orientation. I know that our, our mission team that went to Germany before you headed out, you had a, bare, you know, a few days of orientation before they send you out because they want you to know about the culture and the do's and the don'ts and things like that as a missionary. And so uh, we have the do's and don'ts. Uh, uh, you know, sessions and all those kinds of things, and it's, you know, know the culture, don't offend people, and, and things like that, and, and one of the big no-nos, though, that they share with you is um, when you have a, a partner, they, they paired us with a partner of the opposite sex, and so they said, now look, there are to be no love interests with your, with your missionary partner, okay, well, so we were all clear on that, and that was fine, and I had a wonderful partner, his name was Stephanie, and um, so we go to the, we fly into Sydney, we're excited, we go to Newcastle, we're excited, and we have our first night that we're going to meet the youth. And so the, the model in the 1990s of youth ministry is you be the cool guy, and you can be as cool as you can so that you can win their trust, and, and then you, you share the gospel with them. And that was the, the big model. So we had our first night with the youth, and there's a ton of youth there, and uh, I'm all excited, so I'm up in front of the group, and I'm trying to be the cool guy so that I can win their trust, so that I can share the gospel with them. And my, my uh, partner says to me, uh, she looks across the room and she says, Gunner, she says, come sit here. And I said, uh, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to stand. I'm going to talk to the kids and all that. And she said, no. She smiled and she said, come sit by me. And I thought, oh, no, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening in my, in my arrogance. I think she likes me. <laughs> and so, and so, so I, I awkwardly go over and I sit down beside Stephanie and she leans over and she says, your zipper's down. <laughs> I thought I was some kind of good-looking guy, and she was, she was trying to save me. Uh, there's always a fear when you're invited to speak and invited to share and invited to teach uh, that you're going to make a fool of yourself. And uh, I, I listened to a podcast a, a few months back, and, and it, they talked about, what do I hear? Yeah. Hey, praise the Lord! All right! What I'm talking about? Chad couldn't make that happen, huh? Huh? Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> He can stay wherever he's at for as long as he wants. Uh, listen to a podcast a while back, and whenever you're invited to speak somewhere, uh, you go through this, this, ecology, this uh, evolution of, one, I'm excited to do it. Two, oh, the preparation is amazing. Three, the, the, the scripture is so weighty. Four, I wish I never would have signed up for this because it's, it's getting close and I'm getting nervous. And then five, uh, if you... 
if you handle it rightly, if you handle the Word of God rightly and you begin to hone it down and understand that you're handling the Word of God and, you're, and you're, all that you're doing is being a vessel, then things tend to turn out okay. So hopefully this morning, we're going to stop for just a second. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that the Word of God is handled rightly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the rain. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity for us to, to uh, gather here together. We pray, Lord, that as we... We flip through your word, Father, and, and we study your word, and we take a, a pause out of our busy lives and our crazy schedules that we make today your day, as you commanded us. And we make your word your word. And, Lord, that we put Christ as uh, preeminent in our life at this time. In your gracious name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in Colossians. We are continuing. I was really, really surprised. Chad asked me to preach, and, and, um, and I asked him what he wanted me to speak on or if he had a, something that he wanted me to do. And he said, well, why don't you just carry on with, what we're, with the book that we're going through, which is intimidating to me because, Chad, because I, you know, Chad's a tough act to follow and all those kinds of things. And, and he said, I tell you what, he, said, he, he ended up a little bit. He said, I tell you what, I'll give you uh, verses 15 through 19 because it's the theme of the whole chapter. It's the theme of the whole book. And so you get to carry the, carry the water, so to speak. And so that was a little intimidating as well. And so, but uh, uh, we're going to make the best of it this fine morning. <clears throat> if you remember, uh, Paul has, has written a letter to uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, church at Colossae. And, uh, and the letter is, uh, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, problems that are going on in Colossae and with, the, with the Colossians. Uh, the, there's a lot of heresy that's going on, a lot of false teaching that's going on, and it's, um, it's, it's very uh, confusing to those that are believers at the time. There was a, 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 a thought that was beginning to take shape uh, known as Gnosticism. We call it now Gnosticism. It really wasn't Gnosticism at that time, but it was beginning to take shape. And, um, and the idea of Gnosticism was that in order to uh, really know God, in order to achieve salvation, uh, you had to have this secret knowledge. The, the word gnosis in, 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 the, in the Greek was, it means to know. And so it was the idea that you had to have this secret knowledge, this mystical knowledge, this uh, almost like a secret language that you knew of in order to, so that you could be right with God in order that you could ultimately achieve salvation. And so that's what Paul was dealing with. Paul had, been, had, not, had never been to this church before. Uh, it was a very small church. As a matter of fact, today in the Middle, in the middle East, you would be hard-pressed uh, to even find the, uh, the ruins of this place. It's very, it was very insignificant, as Chad pointed out whenever he introduced this uh, a few weeks back. But that's what Paul was, was dealing with. And, so, and a very strange thought of the Gnostics was this. They said that all matter, everything that was, that, that was created, everything that was real, uh, was evil. Anything that had to do with matter, in, including our flesh, including the dirt, everything was evil. Uh, but anything that was of spirit, it was spiritual at all, was good. And so they were trying to make sense of, we live in this world that's an evil world, uh, and, but there is a good God. And they believed in God, and they believed in a good God. And so God was spirit, he was good, everything else was evil. So that put them at, at odds with this idea that there was this, this individual named Jesus who came to be the Savior of the world, um, and became a man, died on the cross, and, and saved us from our sins. Well, their thought was Jesus, who they believed to be good, but they believed him to be a spirit, <coughs> a spirit not deity, but a spirit. Uh, they said there's, there's no way that Jesus could become man, because that would then make him evil. And so this is what Paul is fighting as he writes this letter to, uh, to the Colossians, and uh, that's kind of the, 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 summation, the summation of it. And so, um, so that's where we find ourselves in, uh, in we're in, again, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. So let's, let's take a look at what, uh, 
what Paul was writing to the Colossians here, and we're going to have some very interesting points. Again, this is, this is kind of the theme of, of the whole book uh, and uh, in these very few verses. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 15 starting out. Bear with me. This has become a necessity. All right. Ah, there we go. Eureka. Is it still raining? All right. Okay, verse 15. He is the image. He being Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All right. So first of all, we, we, we hear that, that Christ is, first of all, the image of the invisible God. Uh, the, the word image there, meaning just an, an exact representation of God, something that that's, uh, would be an exact uh, thought of who, who God is. We know that we see there that, that first of all, that God is, a, is an invisible God, and we know that. We know that God is not something that we can see, not something, not something that we can touch. We see his creation, we see his works around us, but we do not see God himself. And, and God even, has even said in the Old Testament that, that he himself can never be seen by man. Um, that he, would, he would not be able to be seen by man. If a man were to see God with his own eyes, that a man would perish. And so we know that to be true. We know that God is invisible, but we know that Christ came, and he is the image of the invisible God. The exact, that word uh, image in the original language means something that's, that's the exact representation thereof. And so Christ is the, that exact representation of God. He's, uh, God is such a communicator and he wants us to know him. He, knows, he realizes that we are people of sight. We are people of smell. We are people of senses, so to speak. And he knows that we, we want, to, want to see things and believe things. Um, and, and so he was good enough as a communicator to send his son. We know that in, in John, that God is such a communicator, he called his son the Word. And so God, is, was, in his graciousness, sent us an exact rep- representation of who he is. We can see the behavior of Christ. We can, see the, 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 uh, the wor- we can hear the words of Christ. We can read the words of Christ. And we know exactly what the heart of and the character of is, is of God. Our world is very, very confused about who Jesus is. If we look, out, look at throughout history, uh, we see that there are many, many thoughts of who Jesus is. If I can just run through some people historically, uh, many of these are philosophers and, and other things that uh, have thoughts on who Jesus was. Pontius Pilate himself called Jesus the man without fault. Um, the, um, the philosopher Diderot called him the unsurpassed. Napoleon said he was the emperor of love. The, the philosopher Strauss said he is the highest model of religion. John Stuart Miller also said that he is the guide of humanity. Lecky, another, another philosopher, said that he is the highest pattern of virtue. Kant, another philosopher, said that he is the Holy One. Martineau said he's the divine flower of humanity. Uh, Evan Renan, the French atheist, said he is the greatest among the sons of men. Theodore Parker called him the youth with God in his heart. Francis Cobb said he is the regenerator of humanity. Uh, Robert Owen called him the irreproachable. The Dalai Lama said that he is, he is a reincarnate Buddha. As a, as a matter of fact, he, see, he said that he is Buddha reincarnate. Um, Nietzsche said he is a fable. Gandhi called him the innocent one. And Mikhail Gorbachev said he was the first socialist. How about that one? Uh, yeah, that's a laughable thing there. We see throughout history that, that God is, um, that Jesus has, there's many thoughts about Jesus, but what, what Paul rattles off here in the very, very beginning of, of, uh, of his thought to the, the Colossians today is that he is the very image of God. We can look to Jesus and we can know the character and the heart of God uh, without flaw. And so that's his thought. Uh, the, 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 image, the, the, the word image in the original Greek is the word ikon. Uh, I'm sorry, ikono. 
and uh, it, which is where we get the, the, uh, our uh, English word icon, which is basically a statue. So when you look at Jesus, say he's like a statue of God. I know that's, that's watering it down quite a bit, but he's like a statue of God. He's an exact representation of God. We want to know what God's like. We want to know God's heart. We want to know how God would behave in, 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 uh, in, in our world. We look to Christ, and so we have that beautiful thought. And so Paul is trying to bring home to the Colossians uh, that, listen, Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. Uh, he is the exact representation, or he is the exact image of God. He goes on to say he is the image of the invisible God, the, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. And that's a very curious thing uh, to, to know and understand. The firstborn of all creation. Uh, it doesn't mean that Jesus was the first to be created. We know that Jesus was not created. Uh, he's, he, he always has been, always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so, this, this thing's wearing me out. I can't keep my... I can't keep, <laughs> there we go. Let's try that. Um, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning of the end. He was, he's never been created. He's not a created one. Uh, so what does it mean by he is the firstborn, the firstborn of all creation? Um, we have to think of, of firstborn as, not as opposed to uh, chronology, but actually as, as rank. Uh, he's the supreme one of all that is created. Uh, in the ancient world, they would understand this. They would understand the concept of, of firstborn. Uh, the, it was the firstborn child, the firstborn son, actually, the firstborn son that would be the, the primary inherit, would, would, would be the primary inheritor of the estate. Uh, he would have the authority within the family, uh, and we would carry on the family name. And so they would understand that in the ancient world. And so what, the, what uh, Paul is pointing out here is that he is the highest of rank of all things in creation. He is the highest of rank in all things of creation. Again, so you can see how this goes against the thought of the Gnostics. The Gnostics were saying, no, anything that is created is evil. And Paul's saying, no, he's the highest rank of all things that are created. And he goes on to expand that, as a matter of fact. He says in verse 16, For by him all things were created. Now remember what the Gnostics said. The Gnostics said there's no way that he can create. If he comes in contact with creation, that makes him evil because all things that are created, all matter, is evil. And so Paul is, is trying to attack head-on this idea that Christ cannot have anything to do with creation. And he's going to ride this thought out for several verses here. So for by him, we have to pay attention to the prepositions in our next few verses, by him all things were created. That puts Christ not only as just, we, we can't just water it down and say he's involved in creation, but all things were created by him. In, in, in the original language, that can mean by or through or with. Uh, all things were created by him intentionally. Christ alone was, a, was uh, the one that was involved, was the one that was uh, at the head of all the creative process. And so, again, Paul is meeting, on, meeting head on this idea that uh, Christ can't be a part of creation. Okay, so for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Again, uh, they, they thought that all things that were evil were, uh, all things that, had, that pertained to the earth were evil. Uh, even the things that were in the heavens were evil. So Paul makes it a very pointed, uh, he's very intentional about saying that all things that are created in the cosmos or in the, in the heavens uh, are, are created by Christ, okay? Whether visible or invisible. And then he has an interesting thought here, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I had a really hard time with that I, 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 before I went to any commentary or things like that. 
What does it mean that he is, he is above the thrones and the dominions or rulers or authorities? And it went through, through multiple commentaries. And those are ranks of angels. And so what Paul is, what Paul is saying is, look, Christ is, he is spiritual. But he is above all things that are spiritual. There was the thought in Gnosticism that Jesus was just a spinoff, another, another angel, another spiritual being. And he was just another one of these spiritual beings that God had created. But Paul is saying very intentionally, and again, these are all ranks of angels. I don't completely understand that, but we understand there is a hierarchy of angels. And Paul is saying that of this hierarchy, Christ is the creator. Christ is the one that has created even those beings that are angelic. So we see here that, that uh, first of all, he's the firstborn of creation. Uh, he has rank over all things that are created. Why does he have that rank? How did he earn that rank? Because it was created by him. So God, Christ is our very creator. You and I have breath in our lungs today and our heart beats because Christ created us. And we have uh, we have life because he gave it to us. And he also has rank above all angelic beings. And so uh, as we continue in, in the, after, after the, the mention of the, the, the uh, angels, it says all things were created through him. And then here's, the, here's something, that's just a, a restatement of what he's just said. But here's the most important part of, of the last part of verse 16. They were created, everything was created for him. Everything that was created was created for him. So it's created by Christ. He's the agent by which all things are created. So what's the purpose of it? It's for him. You know, one of the greatest questions of humanity is, why am I here? Why is the world here? What's my purpose in the world? Uh, where do I fit? What, do I, what, what am I supposed to do with this, this, these, these number of days that I have? What's, what's my purpose? And it's incredible that Paul, as he, he writes this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us. He tells us why the world's here. The world's here because Christ created it. It was the will of God that he allowed Christ to create the world. But also, he tells us why we're here. We we're here for him. We're part of the creation. Are we not? We're all part of the creation. We're all created beings. And so, therefore, if the creation itself, in its totality, was created for him, then we are created for him. We have a purpose. You have a purpose. Every single one of us in this room, you have a very distinct purpose uh, in this life. And I, I need you to, I want to drive, really drive that home this morning, is that you have a, a purpose in this life and that, that you are created for a purpose and God has given you a purpose that uh, he, he's very, very intentional about. Uh, I'm in a really strange um, period of life. Uh, I've turned 50, no big deal. I'm not going through a midlife crisis or anything like that. Something like that. Uh, I've turned 50. Um, I, uh, uh, my parents are getting older, uh, and, I, and that, that's become noticeable. Uh, sorry, Mom and Dad, if you're listening. But, um, and I begin to see there's windows in my life that are beginning to close. We just sent our second daughter to college. And, uh, and she's coming home for, for, uh, for homecoming. I'm excited about that. Yeah, next week she'll be home for, I'm already ready to see her. Yeah, yeah she's doing really well, but dad's already ready to see his little girl. Um, I sent my second daughter off to college. My oldest daughter uh, just got another brand new job and, and a big raise and all this stuff. I'm very excited for her. Uh, and then we've got one more left at home. And, uh, and so Shannon and I are looking at, in two years, empty nest. Um, uh, I'm at the back end of a career uh, in education. And, um, uh, I mean, in two years, get this, in two years, I could retire. 
in two years, I mean, you know, by, by the state of Texas and the TRS, teacher retirement system and all that, I would be eligible to retire. Now, I won't retire. I won't retire. Now, why will I not retire? Uh, there's a whole couple of reasons. One, all these diggum kids I've got. I've got all these kids that, that you know, you, Heidi uh, gets, off the, gets off the payroll, right? And, I, you know, I say that to people. The people will kid, kid me and say, hey, you know, Heidi's off the payroll. And then, then they follow that up with they're never off the payroll. And, and, and they're right. A couple of weeks ago, or about a month ago, Shannon and I went to move Heidi to a new apartment. Heidi's, you know, supposedly on her own and all this stuff, but she goes to a new apartment. Who's going to move her in? Mom and Dad are going to move her in. And so we go to move Heidi in, and we, we enjoy that stuff. It's fun. We go to the new apartment. We get her all set up, and I'm, you know, I'm putting together furniture and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then there's this whispering that begins over in the corner. <laughs> and the whispering turns into, um, let's go buy Heidi some groceries. Okay, all right, she's not off the payroll, right? And so we go buy groceries, and then the inevitable always happens. And this is the bane of my existence to hear this, to hear, let's go to Target now. Because <laughs> Target turns into more housewares, and it turns into clothes, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, and then, you know, you, a few years back, 16 years back exactly, uh, Shannon comes to me one, one morning when we lived on Main Street, in a little house here in, in, uh, on the Main Street, and uh, she says, I need to tell you something. Well, I just tell the look on her face. And, uh, and here's what terrible, a terrible dad that I am. The first thing I thought when she said that is, how am I going to find 60 more thousand dollars to send another kid to college? <laughs> that's bad. That's, that, that's a bad dad right there. But that was my first thought. And that's, of course, now expanded to $80,000 the way, the way post-secondary education is these days. Uh, but Natalie's been the biggest blessing for us, and we've, we've, uh, we've loved having her. Um, no, I won't retire because I've got, you know, I've got responsibilities, but also I have this, as, as these windows close in my life, um, I have this overwhelming feeling. It, it's, it, it's a very spiritual feeling. It's, a very, it's very profound to me uh, that I'm just not done yet, that I've just got things to do. Um, it, probably the only thing that I've ever been good at in my life is talking to kids and working with kids. And, uh, and I'm just not done yet. I have that feeling. Uh, why? Because I am a part of the created order. Um, and, and as a create, part of the created order and a part of a, a creation of God, he has things for me to do that are for his glory. Just as Paul says to the, the Colossians here. All of creation was, was made through him. It's made for him. If we are created by him, then he has things for, for us to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, uh, and created for, in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand it, uh, so, that we may, so that we may walk in them. I love that scripture. Uh, God has things for us to do. He has things for you to do. And folks, it doesn't matter what stage of, of life that you're in, uh, you, God has, he still has plans for you. Just because you retire doesn't mean you're done. Uh, just because uh, you had a change of, of occupation doesn't mean you're done. Uh, God has, and you may even be in a situation that, you know, occupationally or, or a stage of life that uh, you're not real happy about, whatever it may be, God has things for you to do. And I want to encourage you in that. We, need to all, we all need to find what our thing to do is and do it for the glory of God. I share this all the time, and I, I may have even shared this, this with, uh, with you before when I've, when I've had the opportunity to, to preach before, but I love the movie Chariots of Fire. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's made in 1983 and uh, 82, excuse me, 1982. And it's about Eric Little, a famous Olympian. 
uh, who was also a missionary. And a very godly man, very Christian man. And Eric Little uh, was, uh, needless to say, very fast. And uh, his, his specialty was the 100-meter dash. Actually, back then it was probably 100 yards. Uh, but, but his specialty was the 100 meters. As they worked out the schedule of the Olympic, uh, the, the Olympic um, events, the 100 meters fell on uh, Sunday. And Eric Little said, I will not compete on Sunday. That is the Lord's day. And, um, and so that's what he's known for. And there's, there's great books about him. I've, I've read some documentary, even more doc, become more and more fascinated with the guy. There's a wonderful scene in the movie in Chariots of Fire where his sister comes to him and she's frustrated. He, you know, their parents have been missionaries. They know that he's to be a missionary to China. And, and, uh, and she's frustrated with him because she, she, she's telling him, look, you're doing all this running nonsense and well, we should be out serving the Lord in China. And there's a great scene in the movie where he, he asks his sister, you know, let's go for a walk and let's talk about this. And he stops her, and he, and he says, listen, I was made for a purpose. I was made for China, and I know that. But I also believe that God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What makes you feel pleasure? What is it that you do whenever you're doing? You just feel the Lord pulsating through you, and you, you, you know that, that you are part of the created order and you are doing this for him and by him. Find that. Find that. Find what it is that, that, that is your, your good work in life. Find that. Hold on to it and chase it. And so Paul he makes very, a very, pointed, uh, pointed, uh, a, a very uh, distinct point there that Christ is, is he's, he's involved in creation. Not only was he involved in creation, he is the creator. So he's dispelling this idea that uh, all things that are created are evil. It's just not true. In verse 17, he said, And he is before all things, obviously, if he's before all things as the, as the creator, then he's going to be ahead of all things. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And in him all things hold together. Uh, if you think about uh, our created world, it's very complicated. Uh, it's massive if you think about our created world. You think about uh, the sun and the diameter of the sun. The, the diameter of the sun is 186,000 miles, the diameter of the sun. Isn't that amazing? Uh, if, if you were to, to open up the sun and begin to dump the, uh, the earth, the plants the size of the earth into, uh, into the sun, it could hold millions of our, of our planet. It's, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal when you think about the cosmos and you think about all the things that are involved in uh, the, the creation. Um, there's a thought that, uh, that there are obviously trillions and billions of galaxies. We're just one of, of, of many, many galaxies. And they, they really believe that uh, the, the number of galaxies could be 10 to the 25th power, which I can't even fathom that. They say it would be the equivalent to the number of grains of sand on the earth. Can you imagine that? And God is in charge of all of this. Christ is in charge of all of this. And he's the one that holds it all together. What does that mean? On what level? On that huge level, he holds it all together. But as we, as a little research, he holds it together even on the smallest level. Listen to this. This is a, a, uh, some words of a, of a nuclear physicist. 
I went to see the movie Oppenheimer. Maybe some of you have seen that before I went to I'm a nerd. Before I go see some kind of historical movie, I go buy the book or, or, and, and read the book or, or watch, uh, listen to podcasts or, or uh, uh, watch YouTube videos about things. And I kind of became uh, fascinated by this guy that was that's known as the father of the atomic bomb. And I kind of got interested in nuclear fission and all those kinds of things and, and just did some research on that. And, and it kind of ties into uh, what, uh, what Paul's trying to say here when he talks about that Jesus holds all things together. Listen to this. These are some words. This is lengthy, but bear with me. These are some words of a nuclear physicist. He said, everything that exists in material form is made up of atoms. We're familiar with that. An atom has a nucleus, and it is infinitely small. And in that nucleus, there are positive charged protons. They exist in the nucleus of every atom. Physicists know that they, were, they should repel each other because of the positive charge. If positive things repel each other, you have to have a positive and a negative for them to attract. All right? And so within this nucleus are these protons that are positively charged, but yet they, are, they, they stay together. And so the physicists ask this question, what holds the nucleus together? If you have two positives within a, a certain realm within each other that should, be, that should be pushing each other away, what is it that holds them together? Why don't they just fly apart? Why doesn't every atom completely explode? This particular physicist said this, every object is made up of a potential, potential nuclear explosion. There is no scientific reasons, reason as to why atoms don't explode. There's no scientific reason as to why the, the essence of everything, everything has, has atoms in it, why they stay together. They, the scientists have just begun to call it the, the, the atomic glue. They have, no, they have no explanation for it. They, know, they, they do not know why uh, these atoms stay together. On the other side of that, it go, he goes on to say, it is extremely, extremely difficult to split an atom. It takes a massive amount of scientific effort into this modern world to get to the place where we can understand the atomic structure. And it's very difficult to split an atom, which, is by, nature, which by nature should explode all on its own. The scientist also said, all the massive nuclei have no right to exist. You hear that? All this massive nuclei has no right to exist. They should blow up instantly. Some power holds them together. And listen to this quote. As yet, the secret has not been discovered. Do we know what holds all things together? The, 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 from the, from the, the cosmos and from the, 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 the trillions of, of galaxies and all, all those things that Christ holds together all the way down to, to atomic structure, Christ holds all of that together. He holds you together. And he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. What an amazing thought that all of us in this room have a, have a godly mission, and we should be pursuing that. And he holds everything together that is in our world and in our known world. What an amazing thought. So Paul makes that, that uh, very, he's very intentional about, again, uh, pulling creation together with, with the idea that Christ is the creator. Again, flies in the face of the Gnostics. Um, in verse 18, he says this, And he is the head of the body, the church. Now that's a very profound thing. He really switches gears here. He goes away from creation, and he jumps immediately to the church because he's writing a letter to the church, and he needs them to know and understand their significance, and he needs them to know and understand the purpose of Christ within the church. And what does he say about the, the church? He says that, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. 
The, the church is referred to in many things. It's called a flock. It's called a building. It's called all kinds of things. But here he, he likens it to a body. And he says of the body that Christ is the head. It's amazing that, you know, about a body. With modern science today, you can, um, you can lose a limb. We can lose an arm. And, and you can survive. Uh, you can lose a finger, and, and maybe uh, life isn't as, as, as easy as it is, but you can survive. Uh, even into the internal organs now, heart transplants, I don't understand. Uh, kidney transplants, I don't understand. You can even you lose your appendix and, and, and not replace it, and you just keep on going. Uh, there are things that you can lose in life. Uh, I remember when Jack uh, Northrop and Jack Bishop were alive, and those are the guys that, uh, that founded the, the only uh, one-armed dove hunt. Y'all remember that one-armed dove hunt? And uh, those two guys founded that, and it was, it was based around amputees, people that had lost a limb. And people would come from all over the state of Texas and even the nation to only Texas to, in, quarter, in kind of a celebration of uh, this disability they had, uh, but they wouldn't let the disability hold them down. They were still going to experience life and, and things like that. And I remember asking Jack one time, Jack Bishop, uh, said, Jack, wh- wh- tell me, wh- where did you... How did you lose your arm? He said, I didn't lose it. It's buried out there at Paget. <laughs> but so the, you, can, you can lose a limb and still have a very productive life. Now, not to be morbid, but what if you lose your head? What if the head is gone? Uh, life ceases to exist. There is no more production. Uh, there is nothing else that is left that is positive. Uh, life at that point ends. Christ is the head of the church. The, 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 the heart of the church beats because the head is there. And what we have in, in our society today, and unfortunately in many denominations, including in our own, in many, many ways, we have, a, um, we have, we have people that have forgotten that Christ is the head of the church. We choose to uh, make man the head of the church. And when we make man the head of the church, then we're driven by our emotions and our thoughts and our personal beliefs. And we lose the sanctity of what the church was meant to be and what the purity and the holiness of what the church was meant to be if we lose the head of the church. And so Christ is being very pointed with the, the Colossians here and saying, look, Christ is, is one, he's, he is man. He is created uh, in, 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 as far as flesh. Um, he is involved in creation. He is the creator. Most of all, he is the, the head of the church. He's the one to be driving the thoughts and the, the, the ambitions of the church. Without the head, there is no church. He goes on to say, finally, he says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Meaning, uh, in, whenever he says that, that Jesus is the beginning, um, we have to really combine that, that thought of, we know that he's the alpha, that he's the beginning of all things, but we believe that Paul is, is being very specific about this. And he's tying it to that next statement. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. He is the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? Well, it goes back to, again, when we, when we talked about firstborn of creation, and it not being in, in the order of chronology, but rather being in the form of rank. Uh, Jesus is obviously not the first one to be uh, raised from the dead, and that's what it's referencing, is resurrection here. He's not the first one to be raised from the dead. We know by my count we had two in the, in the Old Testament of record of, of people that were raised from the dead, four in the New Testament that were raised from the dead. So Jesus obviously was not, not, uh, not the first to be ever be raised from the dead. So what makes him uh, supreme over, over as far as rank or, or the firstborn uh, as far as those that are raised from the dead? It's the fact that Jesus died 
but was resurrected. Jesus defeated death because of his resurrection, and then he never died again. Jesus went, was ascended into heaven, by, was, was viewed by, by witnesses as he ascended into heaven. He never died again. And so that was, that's the, uh, the idea that, that makes him uh, preeminent or supreme over all those that have experienced resurrection. And so he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn of those that had died and were resurrected. He's the firstborn. He's the supreme in rank because he never died again. Lazarus, we don't see Lazarus in the balcony today. We don't see Lazarus walking down the street why? Because Lazarus came to his end at some point and went on to be with the Father. Jesus went from being uh, uh, dead in the tomb, raised to life, and then ascended to the Father. So that makes him uh, the firstborn of, over all creation. And he says that he's the firstborn over all creation. And in the final statement of our verses today, he says this, that in everything he might be preeminent. Other translations say that in everything... In everything, he might have first place. What we have to ask ourselves today is, does Christ have first place in our lives? Um, our lives are, are, are very, very complicated. Our lives are very, very busy. Um, and there are things that from, from parenthood to adulthood to job to whatever it is that pulls you in a thousand directions. Uh, is Christ preeminent in all of that? Is he in first place? place. Paul's encouraging the, the Colossians to put God in that spot. And he tells us why he should be in that spot. He is the creator. He is the first among, uh, among those that will, will inherit all things. He is the, the first among creation. He is the one that, that for the reason for which all things were created. It was created for him. And because of all these attributes are true, he deserves first place. So let me ask you this morning as we close. Is Christ first place in your life? Is he first place in your life? I tell you, I, I struggle with that. When I was studying this and, 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 and read the word preeminent, uh, that, that sounds neat, but whenever I went to another translation in the NIV, and it said, is he fir and it said first place. Of all of our hecticness and all the things, all the desires that we have and all, all the things that we want to accomplish in life, is Christ first place in that? Well, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer. And as we pray, make Christ first place in your life. Put him at the very head of all things. Why? Because he deserves it. Because he's earned it. Let's pray.